Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me, producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in season 10. Our originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links. In our foreign language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Letters from Iwo Jima. We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Member bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, Year of the Dragon, Eight Million Ways to Die, Talk Radio, and Born on the Fourth of July. Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh my God, it even has a watermark. And of course, more Stephen King with The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series. Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page. That's thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. Underworld evolution is over. Our treachery knows no bounds. A powerful immortal has returned. 
Marcus. He's the one. The first true vampire. He was exiled over 300 years ago. What makes you think we're going to find him now? I was the one who exiled him. Vowing to release an unimaginable evil. There is only one way to defeat him. Find the girl. Bring her to me. One stands between their rise. You know the devastation caused before he was captured. And the destruction of all mankind. Soon you'll be drowning in lichens. Not lichens, all vampires. A new race. Created in the image of their maker. Me. You're no match for him. Well, we're gonna have to work on that. Andy, we're back in the PVC. I'm very excited about it. I haven't uh, taken mine off, a... actually. No, I know that. I know that you can <laughs> see the buckles under your T-shirt. Um, <laughs> what What do you think? If people wanted to learn a little bit more about you and your underclothing, uh, where would you like to send them? Dear God, is that how we're selling our memberships? <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's going to get... I, I I don't even know how many more people are going to join now, but it's going to be a lot. <laughs> I, I nailed it. Yes. I nailed it. What they Appropriate they for do, this episode, and that's going to be... We'll be calling back to this moment <laughs> later. We'll all be here. Hang tight. We'll all be here. Yeah. They just need to go to thenextreel.com slash membership, and they can learn all about our membership program, what they get out of it, like the bonus episodes, the extra channels on Discord, early recordings, um, joining us in uh, like for our live stream of every episode, and when we're doing the film board, getting in on a pre-show chat. There's a number of different things that people get when they are uh, when they're members, and if they just go to thenextreel.com/slash/membership, they can learn more and sign up. All right, Andy, we're back in Underworld, Underworld Evolutions, and okay, so I it's think it's sequel. just one evolution. <laughs> it's just one evolution, and and it's not the evolution you think. I think I'm looking forward to talking more about specifically. Who, yeah, <laughs> who the is, evolution. Who is who is evolving? I think is the big question, and I'm not sure that we nail down which one is evolved. There's so many evolutions. So many. Uh, so the big the big questions, Andy, was it a worthy sequel for you? Did it feel planned like it was of a piece in the underworld universe? Did you did you like it? I actually did. I I, I don't think I liked it as much as I liked the first one, I, I, but I thought it was entertaining. It was enjoyable. It gave me a good ride. And it's like an interesting world. I actually really enjoy this world that our trio of uh, crafters of this world came up with. And I think what I heard was initially they had kind of planned a trilogy. Uh, so I think that, I mean, to that end, it felt like they knew where they were going. Like nothing in here was just like, well, that's an odd twist at all. It, I mean, not to say there aren't things that made me say that <laughs> throughout the film, but it all realistically, like as I watched it, I said, okay, it it felt like... They'd kind of put this all uh, pen to paper and had these ideas in mind as they were kind of developing the first one. I, I kind of think that, too, although I'm, I'm with you. I found myself asking a lot. That's a weird twist. They did some <laughs> things with the lore 
uh, we talked a little bit about vampire werewolf lore last week, and uh, I, I think they did some things in this movie to kind of move the lore forward, and and we'll see if this becomes one of the stories where uh, our kids are telling horror stories around the proverbial campfire, uh, and it <laughs> includes some elements from this movie. My hunch is they will not, but we'll see. <laughs> Right. Let's talk first about uh, Kill the Daddy, Kill the Family. This is one, this is not introduced by the Underworld franchise. This is stuff of legend. That there is one primary vampire, and if you kill that one, everybody else that was ever made a vampire in that family line, in that bloodline, actually dies. That's brought up, uh, I feel like it really kind of comes up when when Celine and Michael are talking to Tannis. And the whole idea of they thought that if they killed Marcus, that that would happen. But they're like, oh, no. Or they thought, well, I don't know. I guess I was confused because I'm like, (laughs) wouldn't they have been surprised? Because it sounds like they all thought that that Bill Nye's character, Victor, had been the alpha vampire. But nobody was surprised when he was killed that, hey, wait a minute. I'm still a vampire. What's what right. gives? Like nobody said that. New, that that's <laughs> a central failing of of leaning so heavily on this particular bit of lore because they've already ex- examined how nothing happened when you kill the who, the who they thought was the day. Nobody was shocked, and it it just doesn't work. And then they lean even more heavily on it in this movie. And by the time the movie ends nothing happens like there's no uh shock and this is a movie that is ostensibly about that bit of lore it's not even just a side effect of of the natural action sequence it is truly broken attempt at at you know examining this part of vampire and werewolf lore it's just broken all the way through it's one of those things i'm like why did they even introduce this because it just as soon as they said that it just threw all that into my head like what why how is that a thing all of a sudden because it never was brought up before and now they're bringing it up and and then at the end you know she kills him and does that mean like every vampire is now dead like that i was asking myself so are there any more vampires and she is she's the only one because she's quote evolved because she drank the blood of alexander his like uh, marcus's dad i it just it left a lot of questions for me as that whole thing kind of played out all right so i agree on point number one how about blood memory what's your take on blood memory (laughs) it's such a funny idea because as i was thinking about it i'm like Man, that must be a real bugger for anyone who's had blood transfusions. Like, they're just like, <laughs> like just all those new memories that they have just flooding through just their flooding minds. back. Like, I didn't go that way. I went like, uh, gosh, no, I can't remember that phone number. Here, just get it from my, let me just bring up a vein. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Well, but it doesn't bring up the number. It brings up the memory of the person typing it into the phone. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. 
uh, you know. Well, and that's why I was I love so much because we talked last week about what's going to happen to Craven. Well, not much. Craven <laughs> isn't in the movie all that much. But what we do get from Craven is he delivers the blood memory, uh, which is essentially his computer science degree. <laughs> so now Marcus, who has been dead or asleep for hundreds and hundreds of years, is now awake and able to use computers with his very sharp, pointy fingers. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Well, that was so strange. And I, I, Mark, well, there's another thing that I wasn't quite sure of because Marcus, like for a big chunk of the film, he like is he's Batman. And when I say Batman, I don't mean Batman. I mean, he's a man bat. <laughs> like he yeah. looks like from Bram Stoker's Dracula when it's like that half transformation between a man and a bat, mm-hmm. which actually mm-hmm. I really liked. I thought he looked great. It was a, it was a nice kind of uh, creature effect that they pulled off here. Totally. And and I would add that I love the fact that they went bat with him. Like, I love that they introduced that element. So go ahead. Absolutely. No, but I it just it became a strange thing. The whole whole idea of the blood memory was it's interesting. I mean, I, I find it to be interesting and it's actually an interesting new uh, new element that they're introducing to kind of vampire lore here. Uh, even if I, I'm like, well, I don't it's it's a little funky, you know, how he he gets her uh, memories, like the whole map thing. But then she's also given her blood to Michael a number of times and, uh, you know, to kind of help heal him and stuff. So isn't he going to have all of her memories, too, which we never see? And then there's a moment right. where she drinks Alexander's blood and we hear we the sound of design of some kind of memories and stuff like that. We don't see anything, but it's like, OK, but we're getting but she's getting his memories. And it's like, I, I don't know, that that was something else. I'm like, she's what is she getting out of him other than, as he says, the future? What is the goal? to get out of that because it seemed like he was wanting to teach her something or show her something that would help her be able to defeat his two sons but i I never quite was sure that that actually came through in the film yeah no which i guess was also supposed to be through the blood memory thing yeah right right so there that inconsistency straight back to the kill the daddy kill the family like that inconsistency weakens the film it's like it just stretches at what ties these elements of the film together and last week we already gave ourselves up for saying that this is a this is a, a, a soap opera right we gotta oh, let go totally is, yeah. uh, some of the constraints this movie is is stretching the bounds of even that like even <laughs> that forgiveness that I give it we're on the edge now of what uh, of what we can really sort of tolerate and of course we have the trope factory uh, and there are there are some tropes as a result of this transformation into even more of a of a soap opera um you know we have the uh the tropes of of feeding of changing the way your digestive tract works right we see mm-hmm. that uh, handily in uh speedman's character like we get to see him <laughs> throw up in a i guess is it a ukrainian or a russian diner um, <laughs> is that what their I, diners I, look like yeah something it's, it was... <laughs> it's rough like no idea where the hell they are in the world no uh, that's, idea and that's a question another question that i have well and but that's that's very much a part of the trope too it's right like yeah after you've transformed that refusal to feed the new way that you're supposed to feed he refuses yes. and then he goes and eats some some goulash or something <laughs> some bread and then he probably throws it up yeah terrible 
Uh, and we do see that great cam, the the inside the rib cage effect. And it's such a weird angle. It's not growing on me in a very positive way, actually. Like I this using that again, where we see the ribs kind of break open from the inside out, it it's really puzzling. I just don't like they've given me too much time to think about it. Why was that the hero angle on the internal transformation for this character? Why is that the coolest thing they thought they could come up with? Yeah, especially when it involves him eating and the way that his digestive tract is handling the food that he's digesting. It seems like if they're going to show anything, it would be like his stomach, like in spasms or something. But it was like his rib cage cracking in protest. I wasn't quite yeah. sure. It was odd. I, and yeah, I agree that, that those effects, they did not work as well the second time. It's like I'd already seen them. They worked better the first time. And I, I just felt like by giving me more, it's actually diminishing uh, kind of it overall. We all, I was just going to say, we also have the trope, which, I mean, it's just another vampire thing of getting bitten by a bat or bitten by a wolf. Uh, for the werewolf, and then the soap opera factor, they're brothers. And but okay, right. now, correct me if I missed something. But did they say how Dad was immortal? Like what happened to Dad that he became like this immortal that was living forever? And then these two sons were bit by these different things that turned them into. <laughs> I have I no idea. I have no idea why. <laughs> what it, the hell happened? With Alexander Corvinus, that makes sense in the context of the film and gets them off the hook for having this nonsense immortal who, like, won't kill anybody and can't get killed. And I just, for the life of me, I don't understand it. Uh, Is he a a vampire? Does he have teeth? (laughs) He's neither Uh, because he wasn't one of the people who was bit. Very confusing. They, They call him the first true immortal. Uh, and he, and he is an ancestor of, uh, okay, this is what I'm going to Wikipedia. There's a whole single page on Wikipedia of underworld characters, right? And the full write-ups of the underworld characters. So I, I feel like just by us being confused about this, we're stomping on a lot of people's deep fandom. And I don't <laughs> intend to do that. I really don't. But I don't understand some of these things. Apparently, he was a Hungarian warlord who lived in the early 5th century, ascended to power in time to watch his village ravaged by an unknown plague. The only survivor of that plague, his body was able to adapt to the virus and likewise be adapted by it. And through some unknown means, consequently, it made him immortal. Let's lean in on those words. By some unknown means, Means made him immortal. Even I, Wikipedia doesn't know right. what, how he became immortal. Can I just also say he's immortal, but he still is awfully killable, right? I mean, yes. was there? Yeah, it's like yes, it's, it's it's not like yeah. It was just an odd way to be immortal. It's like you're immortal, but you can still be killed. Like you know. Well, let just, me give you the meanwhile back at the ranch. Years later. His wife, with his wife Helena, he fathered three children, two of whom inherited the immortal strain in its active form twin brothers, Marcus and, Mil- and William. Marcus was bitten by a bat and metamorphosed into the first vampire. William was bitten by a wolf and metamorphosed into the first werewolf. William became a savage beast that was unable to ever assume human form again, something that Alexander attributed to his un- uncontrollable rage. Only Alexander's third son, who inherited the immortal strain in its inactive form, remained a human. Okay. I don't know. Does that answer all the questions? 
I just, I, I want to know where all of this came from. Was this, like, are we going to see this, like, backstory pop up in the next three films? Like, now well, I'm Well, it'll curious. be interesting to see that, because do you remember, I mean, you the next film, I had completely forgotten that, uh, the next film, I believe, is the, is the big flashback prequel movie, right. and yeah, it's, I it's remember hardly the... anything about it. And Rona yeah. Mitra's in it, not um, Kate. So right. it's a story of Selena, and it'll it'll be interesting to is that not, that's not a the different singer, character, just to Sonia. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's uh, the daughter <laughs> of the vampire elder Victor, introduced by flashback in Underworld, played by Jasmine Damak. So we have a lot to learn. Uh, she's going to be in Underworld: Rise of the Lycans. So we'll see. We'll see some of this backstory. I don't know if we'll get more history, more flashbacks. This movie is a nested flashback in a flashback, practically, and I think they're going to just level it up next time. Well, I'm very curious. The, this one and the previous are the only two that I have seen before, so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how the rest of this plays out. Yeah, it's interesting, it, but but I mean. To the point we made earlier and last time, this is totally a soap opera. Like, it's just like yeah. all of the motivations with these characters, it's all love and secrets and, and uh, you know, just kind of family dramas. And it's just, there's so much of that going on. And, and like the power plays and everything. And, and then, you know, it's like, I don't think I ever fully understood Marcus's motivations for wanting his brother back other than you know they promised me they wouldn't hurt my brother and now i'm going to keep that promise and free him sort of thing like that seems his only motivation but then when he kills his dad he says uh like no true god can have a son and i'm like and i'm like uh, well uh, okay, and isn't so. there's that whole bit about how he wants to create a, a whole new race and it's going to be a combination of all of them which is strange because I kind of felt like that's exactly who Speedman is, who Michael is, right? <laughs> right. That's what, like why are we? That? Why is he? While like you Marcus, were sleeping, like this, exactly. What we need is Selena to go in, or Celine to go in, and give give them give Marcus the opening credits flashback read to get him up to speed because this is so. I kept thinking about Doctor <laughs> Evil. In this movie, like he's saying one million dollars, like I'm going to make a hybrid. <laughs> Everybody behind him is like, no, 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 yeah, no, right, no. right, done it. So that's that was that was very confusing to me. And also, last time Victor said that the elders have a sleep rotation cycle. You're right; every hundred yes. years they get woken up, and they began that. He says fourteen centuries ago, which was you know fourteen centuries. I mean, this essentially follows right on the footsteps of the last film. So that means 14 centuries ago, this should have started. But the opening battle scene that we have in this movie, all three of them, we see Victor, Marcus, and they're Amelia. They're all awake. They're all awake, and it's 1202. <laughs> like, that's the right. year. It's 1202. So it's like, okay, so I... I I think that... And this is where I feel like there should have been some better... Um, if they really had completely planned all of this trilogy out properly like they 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 shouldn't be making these kind of mistakes one would think that they might actually i, I don't know it, i don't want to again don't want to stomp on fandom and and i'm going to say as a spoiler as much as i'm critical of the experience of watching this movie for this podcast 
I, there's a lot that I had a lot of fun with in this movie. Cool. It's baffling. It, it's it's but I had a great time like watching it. Yeah, and, yeah it's uh, a fun so, movie. There's that. Um, but I, I do think that in some places it felt like the the guys who wrote both the movies didn't go back and watch the first one first. <laughs> like, let's just like we have a loose memory of making that movie. Let's go write a new one and just see what happens. And so you end up with just kind of a mess of lore that they're trying to create. It is not good world building when you and I are having this kind of question, these kinds of questions. It's not great. Yeah, it it's I would much rather not legislate this kind of this kind of like story, this kind of narrative. Yeah, it becomes rough. It makes it a rougher ride because you're dealing with these things. It's like, well, why why is it put together that way? And this is by the same people who had kind of built this whole this whole yeah. thing. And it's not like different a different writer or director came in on this one. It's the same pair. And yeah. that's like all the more reason that it's a little baffling that they weren't catching these sorts of things as they were putting this together and yeah. um, just keeping better track of it, which makes me wonder if they they had this idea and the concept and they put it all together, but maybe they're not like the Tolkien-esque idea guys who are making all the meticulous notes and tracking every single piece of history and it's just they have a you know more macroscopic view of their own history and end up forgetting yeah a lot of yeah, the important right. things that people you know want to pay attention to as they uh, right. live in this world these these guys are season season six of game of thrones like that's <laughs> that's what we get but let's let's talk let's transition a bit and talk about effects yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a, that's a lot of, uh, that's most of the movie. And uh, one of the things we were curious about coming off of Underworld was how well do they evolve the uh, effects uh, production, uh, particularly in the creature and character effects. Uh, what's your sense of how they did here? I already talked about how much I loved Marcus's bat character. I don't ever yeah. quite fully understand it. Like, He's a bat, and then he feeds on the horses, and does that give him enough energy to go human? Because then he goes human, but then he can change his hands. Because I was asking this at one point, because when he's typing, he's using his bat claws or his vampire claws, but when he, yeah. but later he's human, but then he can also change his hands at will from the monster claws to the yeah, human Yeah, once he's had, hands. once he's eaten enough, yeah, he so, has control over his physical shape. Yeah, okay. That's my understanding um, of it. But then he, yeah, he, the, but then he just like seems to love hanging out like the bat so much of the time, so. Yeah. Um, William, I, I mean, and they make this clear, he has so much rage in him that he turns into the, the wolf creature and just there's no turning back. And it sounds like anyone who's bit by him, this is more lore, they will not turn back either. They will always be in the werewolf state, um, which was interesting. I will say I really liked his wolf creature. It looked very, very wolfy. And I guess in context of what you think of for a wolf, it looked really good. And honestly, it looked, I don't want to say it looked like um, necessarily like puppetry or anything like that, but it looked a little more realistic than the other werewolves did sometimes, particularly during the transformations. We get some great transformations right in the opening village sack, uh, yeah. Yeah. where you get to see a lot of, of the the dead coming back and transforming uh, as the vampires arrive in the village and, and are trying to dispose of the bodies. And that was a bit of lore that I was questioning, though. If If somebody's okay. dead... Even though they had been bitten, can they 
apparently, according to this, they can still rise and become the werewolf. Right. I, had that been, that's not like a lore sort of thing, right? Well, that carries through in a lot of different universes, right? In, that, in the and, and it is in, world? it's in, I, that, this is the first time I've actually seen it in werewolf world. You know, we need. That's what, um, yeah, because like werewolf, American werewolf in London, he gets turned no, into yeah. a werewolf because he was just bit, but his friend was mauled right. and he's just a ghost. But we have seen it in vampirism, and we have oh. seen it, obviously, in zombies, yeah. where once you're dead, that's Absolutely. when the transformation happens. I just meant specifically werewolves, I guess. In werewolves, it just, right. I was like, that's right. an odd way to go about the lore. Um, although, you're right, I enjoyed the effects work of it, especially when like they're on fire and they're getting up and running out. But I don't know, again, yeah. I felt like these vampires, they've been fighting these lichens for long enough i'm like i feel like they would have a better sense of how to handle this like okay let's cut their heads off before we set them on fire just to make sure like i feel like they i feel like they don't really know what their own rules are well that's actually a good question about the opening village sacking right because i the the people who were dead there were dead by werewolves yeah right they they weren't dead by people so when the vampire army gets there their first initiative and that's what victor says like we got to dispose of these things now before they turn so i don't think anybody was there before looking to dispose of them i think they were victor and party were the first ones there Right, and that's what they're what they were trying to do. I know. I'm just saying they went about it in such a strange way. I'm like, if they if their fear is that they're going to reanimate because apparently they knew that that would happen, cut their heads off more than burn them. Like first thing, cut all their heads off because that's going to because we know even when they're because we know separating heads. Yeah, exactly. We see that happen. Well, there is. They just left a lot of time to talk about it. (laughs) <laughs> right. This is the perilous the, the perilous journey of exposition in this movie. Yeah. It's it's kind of mind numbing. Like we know what is going to happen next. And then when they got off their horses, they kind of walked. You know, I kind of felt like right. I was watching my son try to take the trash out. No like, sense yeah, of we know he doesn't want to do it. They maybe just these didn't. vampires really felt that way. Oh, do I yeah, have right? to? <laughs> oh, God, Victor, again with the beheading dead people. Come on. <laughs> Well, no, so, they're saying, can't we just behead them first? Why do we have to right. light them on fire? <laughs> right. Right. I don't want to stomp on your ceremony, Victor, but please. <laughs> For once, do we get the low-hanging fruit? It's rough. It's yeah. rough. Okay. So that was the the opening scene. We get some great werewolf transformations. I think they do level up the transformation. Some of them look a little stop motion-y. Some of them are definitely that in that collision of CG. Uh, and, and they generally, to my eye, they look better. They perform better. The movements seem more natural. Uh, I, to your point about uh, William, uh, uh, the, his reveal in the sarcophagus yeah. uh, as the dog, is great. Like, I yeah. love it. I love the Egyptian tones that they brought to the design. I think it just looks mm, really good. Yeah, um, totally. Okay, let's talk about the truck fight. Okay, second major action it's a big sequence. Yep. Right. So, Celine is driving the car. Uh, we have Michael on the back of the car. He is in some stage of undress uh, between, you know, whatever. He spends a lot of time kind of <laughs> in that sort of he's limbo, hit this that point liminal where he space. Knows, if I'm going to transform, yeah. I'm going to rip this shirt off, baby. That's right. He <laughs> <laughs> takes the shirt off first and folds it and puts it away. Uh, he's And so he's in the back of the truck. And then, of course, we have um, uh, Alexander swooping down. Marcus, flying bat. Marcus. 
Marcus, I mean, uh, flying down and and they have they have it out on the truck. And I think a lot of this looks looks great. And then I'm you know, once again, I'm watching this with my daughter and we get to this point. Dad, um, none of this is how physics works. <laughs> I mean, leave it to a teenager to point that out for us. <laughs> right? And I said, I know. I know, but what you and I decided last week is that part of the sort of unspoken lore of vampires is that they can change mass on demand. I don't know if you remember that conversation. They can, in fact, make themselves light as a bat, you said. Light as a bat. And that may be something that helped in the truck fight. But then they have him, Marcus, flying around, and he's flying now backwards in front of the truck as the truck is moving forward. And it looks so stupid so stupid it is the stupidest uh we do have a good smashing of him between the rocks and the car and he rolls and he's broken and we do have a great effect as he's kind of putting his wings back together and and his bones are kind of you can see them kind of crunching and moving as he gets up uh but uh it's a real high low for me in the truck bite what do you think um yeah i i think i largely agree that there were some definite moments that just felt like they designed it as a static fight and they obviously shot it kind of in a way where it's likely static or they're driving on a a green screen or or maybe they got plates on an actual road and then just added him in but the idea of trying to design him in a way where he was actually moving with the truck uh, is that's that's a real tricky thing to make work right and it never quite sold me on it and actually there was a time when he when he jumps off the back and i can't remember exactly how he did it but he was going up to the window to smash in the window and i don't know attack attack celine that way and the whole thing felt like there was there like there was no motion going on it just felt like a static truck and he was just jumping and swinging around i'm like isn't there there's like wind there's like the movement yeah. there's like so much stuff well, I, that's going to make that move very difficult for him and hard. i know this movie's all this franchise is all about like these cool moves and slow motion and all that sort of stuff but even then it hits a point where i'm like oh it's not it doesn't quite make sense it made me think about uh, Superman Returns, Brian Singer's take on it, right? And there are, I mean, there are some things in the Superman character design that I think are really great in that movie in particular, whatever you think of the movie. But the way they u- they fly, the way they chose to fly Superman, um, the way he uses his fists as if they are, uh, as, as if they are, they're, they're interacting somehow with the wind around him that when he pulls his fist back, he turns and like that, it just felt like there was a, there was some sort of a mechanical like sailing across the sky there. And so mm-hmm. I know it can be done, right? I know, yeah. I know that you can't, but there was no in, in, like sense of interaction with the universe for, for him here. And I, I, I felt like that was, that was a miss. What I do think is, it's a great sequence for stills, right? And that <laughs> gets back to a lot of the production. It feels like a direct um, like interpretation of the storyboard without 
intention around physics. And so you get some really great looking scenes. And when they're not in the middle of an effect sequence, when it's a great Dutch angle looking up that long hallway in there in like the mine that where they the old warehouse where they hang out, um, like those sequences are great, like comic book hero seat drawings. You know, this is I can see this visually as a still in a comic. It would look great. But yeah. you, but in motion, it just looks uh, it, it just does not. It, it doesn't work uh, for me. And it's all because the vehicle's in motion. It just ends up making right. it seem a little, a little funky. Exactly, exactly. But then we get to the climactic fight at the end of the film, and we get to see the death of, of Marcus and the death of William, and uh, we get the head pull and the red mist. What'd you think? Uh I really enjoyed all the stuff in the climax. Like, I, I just felt like that whole design, the way they came up with everything there was fun. It was clever. You know, you have yeah. them battling in this kind of, I don't know, this central room that has connections to a bunch of other rooms through bridges and everything. And uh, Marcus is trapped behind this wall and has to get through while they're all fighting William. Meanwhile, William's biting everybody and they all reanimate as wolves. And then you have the helicopter overhead and you have um, uh, Michael kind of rappel down into it to start fighting. And then when Marcus gets in there, he grabs the rope <laughs> that he rappelled and he yanks the helicopter down into the room. And I was like, well, I feel like the rope probably would have snapped first before you were able to pull an entire well, helicopter with it. And, and but hey, again, <laughs> physics, this, we're talking about the this Underworld is the next franchise, part not Apollo where 13. My daughter, my daughter looks <laughs> over and she says, she says to me, Dad, I'd like to tell you about Newton. <laughs> and so we, we, that was another area where the questionable physics uh, uh, do distract from uh, what is going on on screen and, and not to the credit of the movie. And that's the, that is the problem with these, with letting these things go, uh, you know, unchecked. It just doesn't, it distracts from, you know, it might feel great while you're actually watching it, but the second the movie is over, how the hell did that helicopter trick work? It just doesn't play. It's um, yeah, it's very funky, especially keeping everything like moving once it's landed. Yes. Having that propeller yeah. blade, which honestly was just super cool. I didn't care that much because it yep. was so fun to watch, like this giant helicopter blade spinning uh vertically directly behind them as they were fighting. I'm like, okay, you fun know, fight. it wins yeah. because it's cool. I'm not gonna well, fault it. And too the much. effect of his ultimate uh disintegration yeah. was great the way the pieces of the body flopped around the way the kind of torso head hit the hit the kind of bridge yep. uh and and, and bounced off, yeah. down and fell off i mean that was exceptionally cool the people who did that loved this like they right. you can feel it it is great it is great, great. And we have a couple of sequences on the other side of the bit that where the jaws keep getting ripped off of these werewolves. That, it turns out, is an easy way to end them. Well, pull and off I the just bottom like, jaw, pull off the top jaw. I thought that was so funny because I'm like, we, we saw that a plenty. Well, I don't know if it was a plenty, but we certainly started seeing that as it popped up with zombies, the whole idea in yes. The Walking Dead. You, you know, kind of making them docile, so to speak, by taking away their ability to actually bite. And I mean, it's it's not quite the same with werewolves. You know, it's really just kind of killing them. But it was a fantastic way to end William. And watching that battle between um, Michael and William, I just thought was a lot of fun watching the two of them go at it. 
And uh, yeah, I, I think that that's what really made this film work is when you have scenes like that that just I think are just exceptionally well done between stunts and effects and production design and everything. It just it all fits and it works really well. And it's a lot of fun. And I was right there through that whole thing. So were you there as much for the uh, supernatural uh, vampire um, underground intelligence network? Yeah, what you know, I couldn't help but think when at the very beginning of this movie they go to this secret kind of uh um uh safe house and are hiding out there. And then you find out oh they have these places all over the place and they have cameras monitoring all these different things as we see Marcus track them down and all this sort of stuff. I'm like this is these are totally like modern day like the supernatural spies. Like people need to start taking these uh, these <laughs> like these vampires and, and giving them jobs to go track uh, track down uh, supervillains. I think it would be <laughs> quite a bit of fun because uh, it's just it's such a funny thing. Like they they're just they're everywhere, and the way that they're uh, just kind of able to get around the world in ridiculously quick ways. I mean, obviously they're yeah they've got something going on. So well, and it's another uh, it, it's another trope that we get where there are incredible uh, like rundown barns, but if you just know that one panel, it's like this pristine keypad that nothing is. It's like shiny and new. Somebody is in there cleaning that keypad, right. and uh, that's the only thing that they clean. So, but and of course the keypad works, but the lights don't work. Oh no! So, uh, yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. I, uh, but they I do just, go down here. Yeah, okay, go, sorry, go ahead. You finish your point. Well, I wanted to talk about sex. You? Certainly. Uh, although I, I just wanted, I was stuck on the locations because I'm just so torn on the whole thing because I don't know if you really are able to tell me anything. Are you able to tell me where they are? Because in the last film, and maybe it's just my misunderstanding, but I assumed that they were in America or at least some country where they speak American English, because when they find Michael, he certainly sounds like he's an American or somebody who speaks that type of English. And so I felt, okay, so we're in this U.S., and when they go to their, I don't know, the vampire castle, their kind of home base, the U.S. home base is kind of what I thought it was, because I thought, uh, what's her name? Um Amelia was like the European home base or something. I guess I wasn't quite clear on all that. But then now we're we're in this safe house. And I thought at the end of the last movie, again, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought they were just like in the in the same subway system that we were in at the beginning of the film, which makes me say, this is all still in America. We're all like in the same city. Like this whole thing is happening in the same, you know, 15 to 30 square miles, right? I I just feel like that was kind of the setup for what we had seen there. And now all of a sudden, they're in a different safe house, but now it seems like we're in the Ukraine or somewhere because when they come out or when he gets out to go get that food, he's in that like Ukrainian uh, diner, as you were saying. And so it was very strange to me. And then like I just like the way that all of this played out, I was just like, are these, are, are we just, are they very effectively cutting out large leaps of time as they travel around the world or what? Did you have any uh, sense? I, uh, well, here's what I've given, 
uh, I've given myself over to uncertainty and <laughs> I have, I've left it at, I think they've just created the underworld sort of geographic universe and it's okay. It is a vague kind of mash of, uh, I, I would see it as mostly European. I mean, the way they have the, the, just the architecture in general is, is so heavily kind of European. And I think they're going off of that Transylvania vibe and, uh, modernizing those, you know, those sorts of environments and elements that I, I think it's okay for me just to leave it at that. And then because then uh, when the police show up, like when the soldiers show up, they're wearing the fuzzy, the fat, fuzzy hats like the the, but the that, uh, sort right. of Russian inspired winter hats. Right. So so she after the end of the last film, she and Michael fled overseas to the Ukraine. If, in fact, they had to flee overseas at all. I mean, maybe it's just all in one giant continent. <laughs> just it's a re revisioning it's called, it's called underworldia and you should just get to be okay with it i buy that so much more now <laughs> underworldia where's the wikipedia page for that right underworldia i don't with my i map. don't see that <laughs> i don't see that all right so back to sex but he didn't really get any sex in the last movie and this was the third point of disbelief uh, beyond physics, which my daughter had some real questions about. Um, so Michael and Selena, Celine are in their barn and then they get, they get frisky and they start taking each other's clothes off. And what she looks at me, I mean, she's in college and she looks over at me and she says, okay, vampires don't even wear underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was the third. So physics, Physics and underwear. Those are the three things that make this movie terrible, according to my uh, 18-year-old. Who, who needs underwear when you're dressed <laughs> in PVC outfits? Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and then I told her that the uh, director's wife was actually the one that was engaged in this. And she was like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> Uh, and apparently the, and you know, this is just the, the sort of thing that you end up reading about online. The original version of the scene was much more graphic with more nudity. And actually, I guess when Marcus is drinking her blood and it's just flashing through a bunch of memories in there is like a frame or two sort of moment of the, the more NC-17 rated version of that. No, I think we watched the same version, right? There was no, no extended edition director's cut of this one. So, but now I'd like to travel back to last week. That would have made for a good director's cut. Yeah, and that would have made sense for an unrated cut. An unrated I mean, that's cut. Kind of the whole that's point. Right. Whereas last time, it's like, why are they calling yeah. this unrated? There's not that much more to it. Yeah, that, yeah very strange. Yeah, that would have been better. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, what else you want to talk about? Uh, sounds, guns. You like all that stuff? Yeah, I think it's all fine. I was a little perplexed by the fact that apparently their ammunition or their guns, their all their artillery is waterproof because in order to get into the castle at the end, they all had to dive underwater to enter. 100%. And that yeah. was a little... It's, those I'm are like, the same mm-hmm. guns, Andy, that shoot light bulbs. And so don't worry <laughs> oh, about right. it. Right. <laughs> it's fine. The daylight... They shoot the, little... The daylight yeah. evaporates all the water. I forgot about yeah. that. That, that's what makes this makes this movie great. Waterproof light guns. Yeah, it's fine. 
I did yeah. like that Selena or Celine, you got me saying that now. She does end up going back to the double gun, which I thought was fun. Um, she didn't Very have as cool. many cool moves. I was a little disappointed that there weren't those same cool slow motion moves. I mean, there is. And we a had repeat. no, we, we had no like floor shoot thing, right? There was there, no, there was nothing that I, I feel like lived up to some of those uh, production design moments and stunt moments to, to the extent that the first movie did. I mean, she she does like when they're fighting on the docks at Alexander's boatyard. You know, there's that she dives through a hole while she's uh, while she's attacking Marcus. Kind of a slow mo move that she does there. Yeah, she does jump through similarly uh, jump through a hole while she's fighting William. So there were cool a couple of cool sort of moves, but nothing that really stood out like uh, you know shooting through the floor in the circle mm-hmm. um, that MythBusters is going to do an episode about. Yeah, right. They knew at the end, I mean, obviously they knew they were chasing Marcus, but they knew that they were potentially going to be facing William also. And yet they don't bring any weapons to fight Lycans with. All they bring are the daylight weapons. What's, I mean, she's a death dealer. That's her whole job is fighting Lycans. Where are her appropriate she weapons? And I know she job. didn't have anything. She had to get them from Tannis. But still, it's like she yeah. knows what to do. <laughs> and Tannis has no weapons to fight Lycans. Like, all he has are weapons to fight his own kind. I mean, That's, I get he, he's, he's in exile, he's in the but trade. he makes That's, them. Right. But what, he's not trading anything to fight their actual enemy? I don't think so, because he's, I mean, he has pet Lycans. Well, I'm a pet. They're guard lichens, right? They're they're slaves. Although I would say, if you're going to have some of those, it's probably still a good idea to have some silver weapons around to actually... This is what I'm thinking. This is exactly what I'm saying to you right now. All right. Before we really move into, like, cast and crew and all that sort of stuff, I just have to say, what's the evolution in the film? I mean, we had an evolution in the last film. Yep. So theoretically, the last film could have been called Underworld Evolution because Michael yeah. evolves into a new thing because he is literally evolves. a blend. He's the one who yeah. really evolves into some strange machination between the two. But in this film, it's like there is no real evolution except maybe her at the end because now she's the next level of vampire. She she can be in the sunlight because she drank Alexander's blood. Is that? Yeah, and it's on. That is that's the one I'm walking away from because he has that line. She says, "What will I become? The future." He says, and that's the extent of it. Like that's all we get. And I don't know. I guess we should we should we should at least think about that final fight. It did make her strong enough to be able to fight him. Right, that final. uh, Yep, Marcus. So they had the helicopter fight. She was able to best him. But what we don't see, and I think this is this is kind of a as great as the production design, the effects are. I don't think we see enough of her leveling up. Like just that she's strong and can block more of his punches and his wing things, and she ripped off his wing things. We don't see any changes in her physically that make her uh, appear more threatening, more daunting, more sort of viable as a warrior. And, right. and that would have been cool. Give her wings. I would love to see some wings pop out of that black PVC. Yeah, right. Have her fly around a little bit. That would have been cool. Can I just something else just bugged me that I just have to bring up now. She's driving. And this uh, you, you said PVC and it brought it up because I assume her gloves are some sort of PVC also. She's got. Oh, those, God, Andy, those I can't. Gloves. Oh, you're going to bring... Oh, God, so dumb. The sun. How does the sun... How does the sun melt in PVC? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because it's vampire I, PVC. What? I'm just... I can't even... Like, I know... 
I know. And I have to uh, Instagram. Chris Kruger, I know, man. I know that it's a movie about vampires fighting werewolves. And so what are we doing talking about helicopter physics? <laughs> but there has to be something that is grounding and real. And when you put people's clothes, the clothes don't melt in the sun. That was so strange. And honestly, I feel, I, I mean, I just feel like vampires, I mean, this is, you know, presumably present day. We've never had anything say it's a different time or anything. So I'm assuming that this is taking place in that 2003, 2006 window of time. I would think that over these centuries that vampires would have come up with some better clothing that they could just wear out in the sun. Like maybe she has a full gimp outfit that she runs around yeah. in when it's maybe sunny. And then she's maybe totally a fine. A little hot and sweaty. But hey. Yeah, but it's all right. It's all right. They just need the, uh, what are they called in Dune, the uh, the suits that they wear? The, the still, still suits. suits. Yeah, they'd be yeah, perfectly They need still, still suits. suits. Still suits. Yeah. They, you know, the, the day, was it Daybreak, Daybreakers? What was the movie where, yeah. where uh, Ethan, Ethan Hawke, yeah. uh, and then he drives around in the car with, that has the windows all up, robot car with cameras and everything. That's, a, like, that movie gives attention to the fact that vampires can't go out in the sunlight. And I really love what they did with that. And this, this movie, like, I, I almost feel like this movie is striving to be more than this more than the burns on the face like you've already you're trying like why do we have to fall back on something that we all know too too well uh, in terms of the lore so it's fine all right or it just evolve the lore it just it just doesn't work the way that they play with it here except yeah, for right, except right. for the whole point of the evolution because now she's fine in the sun and that was really the whole thing at the end it's like oh okay yes. so now she's evolved because she can stand in the sun and that really seems I, that's that not that's not rewarding enough for me, right? It's that's not, not rewarding all. enough. Not at all. For, for me. She yeah. needed to turn into some like crazy blend of things like Michael is. Like he's got a really yeah. interesting design that is kind of a blend between the vampires and the werewolves that I think is kind Although, of Although cool. I, I think we should say I don't think they used him well enough in this movie. He's an ancillary character that that does not get his due. No, he doesn't. So he doesn't at all. all right, you want you want to talk about getting a maid? I just think it's interesting because, I mean, apparently, as I said, they had talked about this being a trilogy. And uh, but again, it's one of those things. It's like the Matrix. We'll make we'll give you money to make the first one. See how it does. If it succeeds, then we'll talk about the sequels. After this was out uh, at right after the release, the production companies, they said, OK, let's do the, the next two. We'll do the sequel after this. And then the, we'll do that third one, which is going to be a prequel, which is going to kind of help set everything up. So they had actually set set that whole thing up right away, which I, I think is interesting. And from what I have read, they had not, at, at least yet, talked about making a fourth or anything after that. So, um, so but the, the success of the first one at least gave them the green light for the next two. Don't look at the uh, IMDb ratings um, of all of these together in a row. <laughs> there'll be there'll be a spoiler contained uh, therein. Uh, anybody you want to talk about? I mean, Len Weissman. I I I don't actually have a lot to say about specific characters and and the production team because I kind of feel like we said it last week. Do you have anything you want to add about uh, our fair director, Len Weissman? No, I don't think so. Uh, anything else with this? Uh, I think the only um, uh, thing was that, uh, what was, I was just like, was it, no, he did Live for Your Die Hard right after this. Yeah. So he, he jumped a lot into that about world. helicopters, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> 
Oh, that way he's just like, okay, we can't yank it down, but he can drive a car into one. If you can't bring a helicopter to you, go to the helicopter. Exactly. So that's what he sounds like. Is that is that how Len Wiseman sounds? Yeah, that's a Len. That's a Len Wiseman. <laughs> he didn't accent. have any uh, jobs, any well, feature directing jobs. I should I should clarify between the first film and this one. So um, I think that's uh, I think that's kind yeah. of interesting. I wonder. I, I mean, he was probably still dealing with you know videos and everything else that he had been so heavily involved in for so long. Uh, Kate Beckinsale as Celine. She's back as Celine, and uh, I, I love this note. Uh, that you found uh, uh, regarding inspiration. <laughs> yeah, she wanted to use movies like Aliens and the Terminator as the basis for her role as an action heroine. But when she first talked to Len Wiseman, he suggested that she check out Russell Crowe in L.A. Confidential instead. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask, Andy, do you see it? I I I want to say I feel like there was an outtake from LA Confidential where Russell Crowe jumped off a building and landed in a really cool pose. I may be that may that may be a Mandela moment that I have created in my head. <laughs> I love that you bring that up because I totally had a Mandela moment in this movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh tell no, well tell me because I don't because oh, I same wrote moment. it. I stupidly yeah, wrote it you, you in, did the, write in it our down, notes. So I, I knew what it was. I had you asked me before this movie who plays Alexander Cavinas, who plays dad, one hundred percent I would have told you it's Helmut Bakaitis. And uh if you don't remember Helmut Bakaitis, he was the what's his name, the the, the architect. architect from the Matrix uh movies. And I I mean I just I am blown away that Derek Jacoby is in this movie. It is it is earth shattering, soul shaking. I feel in many ways broken that I was so convinced I would have put money on this being Helmut Bakaitis. And I was I was readying a bit about the architect and Alexander Kravinas and Helmut Bakaitis creating the sort of um, the the god symbol cinematic universe by portraying all of these origin stories. And I am wrong. And it hurts <laughs> so hard. Well, I will say I was a little surprised to see Derek Jacoby in this also. I'm like, there's <laughs> a he, lot of people who are surprised seeing Derek Jacoby in this. Step down for him. But then I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> he is so big in the world of Shakespeare, Pete. And what is yeah. Shakespeare if not the first soap, soap opera writer? Exactly. Yep. 100%. Exactly. No, this, so this feels like he they, is. They said to him, this is just like Hamlet, except yeah. with vampires and werewolves. And he said, that's exactly right. It. Are you ready? Are you ready? We'll just, for the duration of production, we're just going to call you Lear and see how it goes. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, uh, so good. Okay, so good. Uh, we've already talked about Speedman. He is a secondary character in this movie. I, Who knows what's coming to him? I, I want to say, though, um, as far as Kate Beckinsale, her young version, young Celine, was played by Lily Mo Sheen, who is her daughter. Uh, she, it's her daughter that she has with Michael Sheen. Which That's I thought was lovely. Drawing, what a, what a drawing the cute little suns on yeah, the walls right. of the creepy castle. Marcus Corvinus, Tony Coran played Marcus Corvinus, and I just thought this was funny. He stipulated in his contract that he wanted to be able to keep his vampire fangs in at all times, even when he wasn't filming. He's a real method guy. He also only drank cow's blood. I, yeah, so like, what did he tell craft services and, and for the caterer? Yeah. Bring me steak raw. I just want to <laughs> bite right in. 
that was another bit. I, I know I'm I'm going back to my uh, all my daughter's best material, but the barn sequence uh and and we're watching and they do the they do the establishing horse shot and she says i'm so hungry i could eat a <laughs> and then he eats the horse right that's <laughs> oh, dark all yeah. right um yeah shane brawley craven bill nye what the what is going on with bill nye's accent he already has a cool accent what is he doing in this thing ridiculous i you know i love him i, I, love I him. think I that you're accent. complaining more about that than uh, it's warranted. I honestly, you said that. I'm like, huh, I don't remember his accent being yeah. odd at the beginning. Um, so I yeah, guess I didn't have odd. a problem with it. What about uh, uh, Zita Gorog as Amelia? I, I, she gets you know, exactly as much play as she did in the last movie. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. You know, she was fine. I, I saw that she, uh, something was wrong with her microphone on set. So that actually it recorded no sound for her throughout <laughs> Throughout all of her scenes, and so she had to. I mean, She's it's no mute. surprise. You have to get right. It's like, whoops. I, I guess that's better than the old, uh, you know, bathroom walking or microphone on walking into the bathroom. Probably. Oh my but goodness. Still, oh no, she was fine. Though. You know, I, I like I like them all. It was fine. It was it was a good cast actually. I think everybody works well in context of the story. Camera, Simon Dugan. Um, he is. Uh, he does this. With uh, Weissman, and then he's used all of his uh, helicopter experience. On Live Free or Die Hard, that's right. That's right. I, You know, I would have, as I watched this, I would have said it was the same person who did the first film. It just has the same look. And I think to that yeah. end, you know, kudos to Len Weissman for crafting this world and really kind of getting Simon to kind of sign on to it and kind of deliver the same package that they pretty much did in the first film. We meet production designer Patrick Totopoulos in this movie, uh, and uh, he's he's solid. Well, we uh, we meet him as production designer. This is the only one he actually worked on as production designer, but he was on it from the beginning. Last time we didn't talk about him, but he did all the creature designs, and uh, so and still in this film, all the creature designs and everything. So he's really the man behind the look of this, and because of that, he actually gets to direct the next one, which will be fun to talk about. The the rap sheet for the rest of the uh, the effects leads: uh, Rosalina da Silva, key makeup; Tom McIntyre, key hair; costumes: Wendy uh, Partridge, uh, and uh, obviously uh, Patrick as uh, creature designer and supervisor. Stunts: Richard Citroni as uh, uh, fight coordinator. I mean, th- they did some heavy lifting on this movie. As weird as the script is, uh, this is some uh, great, great like uh, career. Uh, defining work for a lot of these people. Well, uh, and again, they're creating a world. And I think to that end, that is what Len Wiseman and uh, his team, like Danny McBride, and uh, like they've they've crafted this world and they've found a team that really understands what it looks like, what it feels like, and everybody buys into it, everybody delivers, and I think it mm-hmm. works exceptionally well. I mean, these two films, you watch them back-to-back, and I, I'd be hard-pressed to notice much of a difference between the two. Right. I just think it was a really um, clean way to kind of deliver these two. And Marco Beltrami is yeah, on the music. Yeah, he wasn't on the first one. No. No, I What'd guess, you uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was fine. I thought the music worked well. I like Marco Beltrami's music. And um, I guess Len Wiseman brought him on because he was so impressed with Beltrami's score for iRobot, which I think is kind of a funny one to pull from. But I'm like, huh, 
okay, okay. I, I can't remember the iRobot score, but um, yeah, it, it's kind of a funny one to go with. And but I, I can't remember who who it was who did the music last time, but I know he is back for maybe the rest of them. I can't remember, but he's he's back for quite a few more of these. Well, you know, I mean, Beltrami's behind that hit the the hit film Knowing. I don't know if you remember Knowing. Hey now, Knowing. Hey now, Knowing. Hit film. You knowing. know, I don't have any guilt for that guilty pleasure because uh, why should I have, to have <laughs> guilt for something I love, Pete? <laughs> I speaking of guilty pleasure, I got to go back to iRobot. I actually like iRobot a lot more than many many people. I had a great time with that movie, and I think I do just enjoy stories about masses of. Uh, things of our own creation. It's also why, speaking of Beltrami, it's also why I love uh, World War Z, right? I mean, that whole sort of experience. It, that World War Z is essentially iRobot with dead people. Um, and and so <laughs> I think they I, have that on the poster. Hundred percent. <laughs> uh, so I, I, there's a lot to uh, a lot to love about that, and I'm just a, I'm in general a fan of Beltrami's uh, stuff. Been around for ages. Yes. Uh, so yes. yes. Uh, no, he's, he's a fantastic composer. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. Okay. You want to talk? You have some pie gum, Andy. You have facts and tidbits. Well, I only really have one, which I think is uh, is f- uh, just an interesting one. But in the credits of this film, in all the novelizations of this film, on the websites, the production notes, everywhere, Marcus, his name is spelled M A R C U S. The only time it's spelled differently is in the opening text. The one time you actually see it in the context of the film, not counting the credits, it spells his name M-A-R-K-U-S. So, uh, which I I think may have, I can't remember, I feel like Victor ends up V-I-K-T-O-R. I want to say all the time, but now I want to say, should I go back and look again? Maybe they have that one incorrect too, but anyway little uh, one of those little typos that you get. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird, you know, I don't know if you know this, but in Underworldian, the K and the C are <laughs> transpositional characters. Doesn't matter. You can Doesn't use them. Okay, so good, maybe good. they were actually writing an Underworldian alphabet. Your actual, your initials, <laughs> you're Andrew K. Nelson in it's Underworldian. Is the same Andrew, Andrew C. Nelson. Nelson. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. No, we got Interesting. this. We, we okay. figured it out. I yeah, love this fun. Underworldian lore, and I can't wait for the new Underworldian Wikipedia page to pop up. You now. know, we're, with all of the new translation features, I'm surprised Google Translate or Safari Translate don't uh, actually translate into Underworldian. Or maybe you're reading Underworldian already, and you just don't know it. You just think <laughs> right. it's typos. How it's subversive. Actually, just check that Underworldian filter. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about sequels and remakes. Well, obviously, we know there are more sequels because of the fact that we're covering the whole franchise. But I just thought this was interesting. There were novelizations, as there always are of these sorts of books, Underworld and Underworld Evolution. But Greg Cox also wrote an original novel that was published between these two called Underworld Blood Enemy. And it actually depicts a different version of the beginnings of the war between vampires and lichens. Um and it was uh, he pulled some information from Sonia's um, memories in the first film and stuff, but it kind of created a different version. And I just think that's interesting. And it's you know it makes me anytime I hear things like that, I always go back to Star Wars now, and I'm like, okay, so is this legend or is this actually yeah. part? Like, where's the where where does it all yeah, lie? Right. So I, I find that yeah. interesting. How to do uh, at award season? 
This one had two wins, six other nominations. These ones are great, Pete. This is the sort of award list I love to read. <laughs> the Fangoria right. Chainsaw Awards, Pete. Have you uh, heard of those ones? Is that regular on regular on your uh, annual watch list? I have an I have a news alert for the Fangoria <laughs> Chainsaw Awards. Nominated for five Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. The first one, Relationship from Hell, Kate Beckinsale and Scott Speesman, but they lost to the Devil's Rejects. Rejects. That's the bloodiest right. beatdown. Uh, Kate Beckinsale versus Coran, that last battle in front of the Copter Blades, but they lost to the Hills Have Eyes. Looks That Kill, the best makeup effects, that also lost to The Hills Have Eyes. The Dude You Don't Want to Mess With, a.k.a. The Best Hero, Scott Speedman, but lost to Hostile, Jay Hernandez. <laughs> and okay. The Chick That's You Don't good. Want to Mess With, right? Uh, the Best Heroine, that was Kate Beckinsale, but she lost to Anna Ferris. Anna Ferris? <laughs> right. What? Oh, I know. wow. I love Over at the Golden I, Schmoes. Off to Anna Ferris. Yeah, right. Over at the Golden Schmoes, uh, Kate Beckinsale was nominated again. This is one of those awards I shake my head head at the yep. best TNA of the year. Kate Beckinsale, she won for that one. I wonder she if lost she appeared last, for the last movie. <laughs> she right? lost last time. Yes. At the mm. MTV Movie and TV Awards, Kate Beckinsale was nominated for Best Hero, but lost to Christian Bale in Batman Begins. Last but not least, at the Scream Awards, Kate Beckinsale was nominated for Best Scream Queen, and she won. Hey, that's something. Yeah, a couple wins for her. Uh, how to do at the box office. Well, Wiseman's and Beckinsale's return to the well cost about double what the previous entry cost, $45 million, or $57.1 million in today's dollars. At this point, the franchise shifted to January openings, and much like Bloomhouse has found success with that model. This one opened January 20th, 2006, all by itself, except for the one-screen opening of Albert Brooks's new film, Looking for Comedy in the Muslim World. After the holidays, people were clearly in the mood for more vampire-likened battles as this took the number one spot bumping out Glory Road. The film went on to earn $62.3 million domestically and $51.1 million internationally for a total gross of $144 million in today's dollars. That gives the film an adjusted profit per finished minute of almost $820,000, making it another profitable entry in the franchise. And that brings us to number three. Well done, just... money. Here, <laughs> <laughs> here. All right, Andy. Well, this was a it was a fun trip uh, down Lichen Road, uh, but, but I, I think it's time for us to rank it. The intersection of Lichen Road and Vampire Lane. There you go. Head over indeed, to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies that we've talked about on this very show. If you swipe over in your show notes, tap the word flick chart, it'll take you straight to this film in the flick chart database where you can add it to your list and see how it stands up against ours. This is the perfect way to begin, Pete. Underworld Evolution versus Underworld. <laughs> underworld. I have to say Underworld. Yeah. Underworld Evolution or La Femme Nikita. Uh, La Femme Nikita. La Femme Nikita. Underworld Evolution or Lake Placid. <laughs> Lake Placid. <laughs> Lake Placid. Underworld Evolution or wow. Next Friday. Underworld Evolution. I will take Underworld Evolution. Underworld Evolution or the best little whorehouse in Texas. Oh, now it's a real battle. I'll still Had take there Underworld been Evolution. More vampires in <laughs> whorehouse. Maybe. 
Maybe they take were. Underworld we just never got a chance to actually see the transformation scenes. Do you know what, Andy? We contain multitudes. Maybe Dolly Parton is actually a vampire to this day. <laughs> yes, I like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So which one did you vote for? Underworld Evolution. <laughs> okay. Underworld Evolution or Yee, a one and a two. Oh, you know I'm Yee here. It's not Yee. The answer is not Yee. <laughs> Because I could watch Underworld Evolution four times, four times in what it would take to watch Yee Yee again. All right. Well, we're taking this one to the mat. 100%. All right. All right. right. Ready? One, One, two, two, three. three. Scissors. 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 Yee Yee takes it. Thank you so much. Underworld Evolution or Christmas in Connecticut? Christmas in Connecticut. Christmas in Connecticut. Underworld Evolution or The Dead Zone? Dead Zone. Hmm. It's, it's a little slow. It's a little it's slow. A, it's a little slow. I'll say The Dead what? Zone, though. The story I, I think that's a solid actually story, makes yeah. sense. <laughs> Very true. Underworld Evolution or Certain Women? <laughs> Underworld Evolution. Oh, God, with a bullet. <laughs> I like Certain Women. It's a slow film. I don't love it. I probably won't watch it again. <sighs> to that end, I'll say Underworld Evolution because I'll watch it more easily. All right. That puts Underworld Evolution in spot 434 out of 480, which is... Not great. Not great. That's about a 10% on our chart. Yeesh. All right. Well, um, I don't know, man. I, I thought it was better than that, but I'm not sure by how much. How'd it do on your list? <laughs> On my chart, it uh, you know, this is one of those films that it's it's tricky to rank because I have all these issues with it, but it is still a lot of fun to watch. So it it fell pretty low. It was a twenty three twenty eight out of forty five twelve, which is about a forty eight percent on my chart. Okay, so I apparently liked it less than you. I'm an eight ninety three out of fourteen seventy five. If I'm to go by the algorithm and move over to letterbox.com slash the next reel. Flickchart suggests this should be a two-star movie. And you know what? I'm going to give Oof. it two stars, and I'm going to give it a heart. What do you think about that? I like it. I am a crappy at... movie, but I had a ball. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those movies. I, I feel like... Yeah, I'm a little torn on my, my rating, because I'm like, is it two? Is it two and a half? I'm kind of torn between the two. I... Uh, but you know what? I am okay. I think I'll do two and a half. I I, I think that yeah. it's you know there's there's a nice world building that they do here. It's sloppy though, and that's but two and a half and a heart. So I'm okay with that. All right, level up. Two and a half and a heart. That's good. That's good. So now we're we're going on to number three. Where do we go from here? Yes, we're going three more years into the future. 2009. We're going to be looking at Underworld: Rise of the Lichens, which, as you said, is the prequel so uh should be i don't know I, you've seen it i haven't i'm curious to visit this one and kind of get this backstory yeah i'm i am curious for you to see it as well i think it's going to be an interesting uh interesting watch and it, even more interesting that you know we get a new heroine right ronamitra and and so i'm curious to, th- to see what you think about how she how she does donning the uh the pvc for this round well and I'm just curious, period, because I'm like, you know, they could have had, well, I guess I, I guess it depends on when in the past, because, yeah. you know, because Selena 
or Celine. Gosh, you totally ruined that. I know, for me. I messed you up. It's like yeah. I was so clean on that. And now all I say is Selena. Thanks. Thanks a lot. But anyway, <laughs> it's just one of those things where I feel like, you know, she was, she's been around for a long time. She's a vampire. Why couldn't she be yeah. in this story? But so I'm curious to see how far back it goes. I guess. Yeah, it's, it's far yeah. enough that we're talking about a different part of the family. Right. Okay. And that's that's what's exciting about this. And so we'll see how it stands up uh, when the movie ends. Our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andrew. As Amazon always doeth. Oh, at least it, it did does, for except, me. It didn't for me. I'm back with the kids, but I'd love to hear where you started. I I went high, Pete. I went to a five stars, and I have a five star by T49Y. Okay. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear it's it. It's titled The Best! Exclamation point. And I just have to read it this way because every single phrase ends with an exclamation point. So be prepared. <laughs> Directing, awesome! Perfect acting! Editing over the top! But the photography is absolutely supreme! State of the art! So stirring! Gripping! Endlessly so! Adorable! <laughs> and why not? It is Kate in those dressed to kill black outfits! Could not imagine a more perfect study! Over and over! Fascinating! Never ending fascination! Eyes like glittering jewels! A face that could launch a thousand ships! Her standing stock still and breathing is awesome! All this before she even moves! <laughs> Poetry in motion! Flowing! So smooth! Makes it look so easy! Love it! And what's not to love? Her supporting love was also great! A perfect duo! Thanks, Amazon! A goddess! The best of all! <laughs> should have gone second. <laughs> oh, God. That might That's be really one of my good. favorite reviews. Wow. That was fantastic. <laughs> Just I thought you were going to blow an O-ring there for a minute. <laughs> they clearly did. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I so I went with one. It's a, it. I went with one that uh, it it's kind of represents the middle of the road over at Common Sense Media. But what I like so much about Common Sense is that um, Common Sense Media says this movie should be rated for eighteen and up. All right. <laughs> I think that's parents. <laughs> parents say this movie should be rated at thirteen and up. <laughs> Kids. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The kids say, the kids say this movie should be rated at 14 and up. The kids want their parents to slow their roll, right? Uh, but not too this much. One is, not as much as the rating But not board. too much. Yeah, right. Uh, this, one, this one comes in from a 13-year-old who actually suggests that he shouldn't have seen this movie and that, in fact, it should have been rated for 15-year-olds. I just, it's just a... Uh, it's drama. Uh, I love the Underworld saga since I was brought up on hyper-violent movies. 
<laughs> Although this film is undoubtedly the worst in the franchise, I still liked it personally. Due to the questionable sex scene, I had to increase the age rating because otherwise I would have given it a 13. There were some really impressive scenes that are incredibly rewatchable, such as the drive fight between Marcus and Celine. The ending was one long, awesome action sequence that I greatly enjoyed. The fight on the boat was cool. The movie built on the lore of the last film, in every essence, almost ticked all the boxes necessary for an action horror flick. And unfortunately, that's where the praise ends. Nowadays, the violence in the movie would be equal to that of Hot Fuzz. Not real violence, just tons of gore. Not only does the film add to the amount of violence there was in the first film, but it even adds CGI to it. From a critical perspective, the acting simply wasn't very good, and the creature effects, i.e. the vampire and werewolf effects, weren't convincing and are really quite dated, unless you've gotten your kids to watch the entire... Fast and Furious franchise since they were six, then be cautious about watching this film with the family. In short, if you like the first film, then you'll be disappointed yet pleased with this movie. It's basically not a movie for most Friday night sit-at-home-on-the-couch families, especially with young children, i.e. zero to ten-year-olds. <laughs> I will I'm eat glad my hat, about the Andy, infants. if that is a thirteen-year-old. My goodness. Uh, you say and, that and, every but, week. Every week. It, that's what it takes every single week. I want you to work week. on finding one that feels like it was written by a 13-year-old. I would love to. The fact that this <laughs> that this kiddo comes back and, and compares this uh, less than favorably to Hot Fuzz, though, <laughs> I, I doff my hat to you, sir. 13-year-old. Thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today.